0: So we're going to be continuing through our series on gratitude this morning. And if you're with us two weeks ago, Kelly encouraged us to lean in to the steadfast love of God. And out of that, we get a heart of gratitude. And last week, Tom Tapping came and he spoke uh, of Ruth and Naomi and showed us how God's love is unfailing. It is unchangeable. He spoke of hesed love, which means unconditional love. And so this week, we're going to be continuing to talk about gratitude, and uh, we're going to talk about possibly the most difficult time to have gratefulness in your heart, and that is when you're going through difficult times. So we're going to be talking about having gratitude in the middle of chaos. And this morning, I want to to kind of give us the punchline before we even get started, Today when, when I'm speaking, I'm not talking because I want you guys to be like, okay, I got this. I can like muster up the courage. I can do this. God is strengthening me. I'm gonna like muster through it. I don't want us to feel at the end of today that we can just like muster our way through whatever situation it is, but that we can hand over that situation to God. And so as I as I speak, kind of listen to those themes as we go on, because I know my natural tendency as a person is just be like, okay, Lord. Give me what I need, give me the tools, and I'm going to run with it. And while he does do that a lot of the times, and and he emboldens us and empowers us, and the Holy Spirit is there to encourage us, he doesn't want us to do it apart from him. And so we're going to be talking about David this morning, which I'm going to try to not gush over. I love David. He's so amazing. He's my favorite person in the whole Bible, except for Jesus. So if you guys want to turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 24 in uh, preparation for when we read it, and I want to say, also, that when we talk about having gratitude in the middle of chaos, or when we talk about having hope in the middle of trials, the enemy takes note. And I know, because I've been going over this text, I've been preparing, and even this morning, I felt the like little pricks of the enemy this morning trying to discourage me. I had kids screaming, literally crying, the boys were fighting, there was tension between Brittany and I. I mean, it's just, in those moments... I can tell you, I was not feeling grateful this morning as we're trying to get ready to come here and have a wonderful Sunday with you guys. I did not have gratitude in my heart. And so that's what I'm preaching on this morning and know that I'm I'm there with you guys. So I want us to have a a brief understanding of what's going on in David's early life. So we're going to start with Saul. So Saul was the king prior to David. And this is not the Saul that encountered Jesus and was... Changed his name to Paul, but this is uh, the, the first Saul that we see. And he was anointed king, and essentially he betrays what God, he's not obedient with what God tells him, and God says, that's it, your kingdom will fall, and you will have uh, retreat or is that a word? I'm creating words up here. You will have, yeah, you will have dismay for the rest of your life. And so in that, the Samuel, who was the spiritual lead at that time, is told by God, go out, find a man named Jesse, and anoint... The next king. And so Samuel goes out, and we know the story. He goes, and Jesse brings all of his sons, the biggest, strongest, nicest looking sons. And Samuel goes, no, not this one, not this one. And finally he sees David, and God says, this is the one. And so Samuel anoints David at that time to be king. And it says that David received the spirit of God and the anointing. And so we have this young man Who is given this promise from an early age that he is going to inherit the kingdom, that he is going to be the leader of God's people at some point in time? He's not given an exact date. And so this is done all outside of the perspective of Saul. Samuel actually goes in secret to anoint um, David or, or whoever it was that he was going to anoint. And so Saul at this time, it says that the Spirit of God departed from him and he was tormented. And so he sought out uh, somebody who can help him with all the torment. And he said, find somebody who can play the liar. I want them here to help me out. David played the liar. And so he, uh, his, um, his right-hand men were like, okay, we can bring this guy in. So David's brought into the temple. Whenever Saul had some torment, he's like, come here, David, play the liar. And it says that he was at ease. David brought relief to Saul's tormented spirit. So we see that David is given this promise. He is given this door that is open to allow him into the king's throne room. He has become Saul's right-hand man. So you must be thinking, like, okay, like this promise that God has given me, like these doors are opening. And we all know the story. David and Goliath, right? David marches out, slings the stone, defeats Goliath, goes returning back to Saul with his head. So it's like, okay, David has given this promise. He's allowed into the throne room. He has shown his physical might. He has proven that God is on his side. Surely, these are the doors that are opening to allow David this easy path to become king. But scripture says that Saul, at that time, when David returned, kept a close eye on him from there on out. See, Saul's heart was hardened against him. And so the next thing we see is Saul chucking spears, trying to it says he was trying to pin David to the wall. He's trying to kill David because of the jealousy in his own heart. And Saul thought, Ah, eh, you know what? If if I can't kill him, I'm gonna send him off to war. I'm gonna go put him in impossible situations where he has to fight the Philistines, and surely, not by my hand, but by their hand he will die. And God was with David the whole time. And he prospered. And he came back victorious time and time and time again. And what happened was the people, the the text tells us the people in the cities would chant, Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. And so Saul's heart continually became more bitter and angry towards David. And so what I want us to see here is that, you know, David, he had all these doors opened for him. And then all of a sudden it's like, uh uh-oh. Like, what has happened? I thought God was opening all the doors that I needed, that I was just going to walk through them. It was going to be easy street. Everything was going to be nice and beautiful and roses. But in fact, the person that he was serving under, his king, had turned against him. And so it comes to this point where Jonathan, who is Saul's brother, or sorry, Saul's son, comes to David and says, David, my dad is going to kill you. Let me help you get out of the city. And so David gets out of the city, and from there he's hopping around from city to city. Saul finds out he's at one place. He takes the army, tries to wipe out David. David flees, goes to another city. David flees. And finally, in uh, 1 Samuel 24, we find David hiding in a cave. This is a fall far, fall, far, fall from being the king's right-hand man. He became a man that was hunted, by an army of thousands, on the run. And how would you feel in this situation? You know, if you feel like God is on my side, he has given me this promise, and then you find yourself hiding away in a cave. You're not even safe in a city anymore. You can't run from place to place. You find yourself hiding in a cave. And so, in, and we're going to read it right now. In In chapter 24, we see that David is in the cave. And Saul Uh, excuses himself from the army, uh, from the the battalion, and he goes in this cave to relieve himself. Yep, Kelly made a noise. I won't repeat it. He goes in the cave to relieve himself, and David's men go, this is the opportunity. God is opening another door for you. And David doesn't kill him. And so let's open up and and read. We're going to read from verses 2 to 7. I'm reading now the NIV if anybody's interested. Um, So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day that the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. I was like, what in the world is going on here? I don't know how you would act, but... I think that if I was on the run for my life and in that situation presented it to myself, I don't know if I'd have the gumption to actually kill him, but I might be like, hey, soldiers, like, do your thing. You know, we want to exact revenge. We'd we'd see this opportunity and we'd seek our own gain instead of seeking righteousness. And so we have to ask, how does David possibly maintain a level head? How does he possibly not take this opportunity to do what he wants, to, to get this upper hand on Saul. Well, the first thing I want us to see is that David's heart was prepared for chaos. We know this because you can read through the Psalms. He wrote 73 of the Psalms. This was a man who constantly, day in and day out, called to God. He repented. He said, your might, Lord, you be glorified. Kelly's sermon, he said, bless the Lord, O my soul. This was a man who regularly practiced preach or practice praising god see david said even in the chaos because of who i know god is i can say the chaos may be true but i know that god is also true i know his character see david was convinced not he was not convicted by his situations but he was convicted by the character of god and that came out of a regular habitual practice of praising and glorifying god See, it's best for us if we prepare in the good times for the bad times. When, we're, when, it, when we find it easy, when we find life pleasant, that's the time when we need to be buckling down, doubling down in fact, tripling down on saying, Lord, you are good, you are mighty. Let me declare the truth of who you are. Because when we get into that moment like David in the cave, we have this foundational truth. And we say, you know what, all those things that I prayed for, all these declarations that I made in your name, Jesus over the last year, two years, six months, whatever it is, those truths are what rang, ring true in my heart. So we may ask, what was David, or what was going on in David's head as he went into the cave in hiding? Luckily, we have a psalm that points us directly to that. I love it; it makes my job easy up here. So Psalm 57 is David's prayer as he went into hiding in the cave. In verse four it says, "I am in the midst of lions." I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. See, David's going into hiding, and he isn't bitter, he isn't angry, he isn't sulking, he isn't saying, Lord, why did you turn away from your promise? But in fact, he acknowledges his situation, and then he acknowledges that God should be glorified. See, there's we we say like truth can't contradict truth, right? And it could be simultaneously true that David is going through affliction. It's simultaneously true that we can go through affliction, and God can also be exactly who He says He is. And so, if you're going through something, you don't have to ignore it. You don't have to just turn a blind eye to it. But you can say, Lord, there are men with ravenous. what What does the text say? I'm in the midst of lions but God be exalted. The men around me are furious, but Lord bless you. See, David, David exalts God in this moment. He exalts him. I think it's so easy for us to forget the promises of God during these situations. It's so easy to just turn away and be like, you know what? I know that you promised this thing, but look at the chaos around me. And yet David actively turns his heart towards Jesus. See, we've said before that gratitude is an intentional, disciplined heart posture. Gratitude is an intentional, disciplined heart posture. And this is what David is, is practicing when he turns his eyes to God. He's practicing a disciplined heart of gratitude. And I know that there's some people here that's saying, okay, you're saying that I need to prepare for the bad times. But I'm in the bad times. I'm going through the thick of it right now. And God in his sovereignty, God in his grace, doesn't give us a timeline. He's not like, well, you know, you didn't exalt me during the good times, so you're on your own. But in fact, he calls us to, even in the bad times, say, Lord, you are good, you are mighty, bless your, bless your soul, Lord. Be exalted above all. Let me sing out my praises to you. We don't have a timeline. If you're currently in the thick of it, I'm not saying that you've passed the opportunity to, to turn your heart to Jesus. But no, it is it is better for us to prepare beforehand. So, if you've been with us for some time, we went through Daniel. And for brownie points, who can tell me what Daniel 11.32 is? That's not Kelly. Yes, the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Right? We're not going to get away from Daniel 11.32. We may have ended the sermon series, but... David here exhibits that. He knows who God is, and he stands firm, and he takes action. See, when we talk about gratefulness, the issue is that we often think like, okay, I have a heart of gratitude. I need to be like walking around, a little strut, smile on my face. People walk up to me. It's like, what's going on? I'm grateful. See, that, that happens. But sometimes our gratitude pours out in obedience. Sometimes our gratitude pours out as a heart that says, Lord, I want to be faithful to you because I know who you are. I know what you have done. And so David in this situation, he's not allowing his gratitude to just be sung when he wants to write a psalm or be like when he's praising God out loud. But in fact, he's allowing his actions to show his gratitude. So I want you guys guys to think about your favorite food right now. What does it taste like? Is it crunchy? Or is it soft? What's the texture? What do you like to eat with that favorite food? Whatever it is, just think about it. Okay. Now everybody's hungry and wishing that I was done with the sermon. But don't in, don't you in this moment want to go out and eat that favorite food now that you've thought about it? Aren't you like, can Jeff just be quiet so we can go and get tacos? See what happens is when we have a heart that, that is full of gratitude, when we have a heart that is grateful. It's when we're looking at Jesus and seeing how wonderful he is. And what happens is that like the food that we think about, we're like, oh, I want it. I want it. Like, let me go out and get that pizza, whatever it may be. And so when we turn to God and we say, God, be glorified. God, there is gratefulness in my heart. We can't help but to say, I want some of that. Like Jesus, give me some of you. You know? You feel me? So he allows us to sing his praises, and not just keep it inside, but act in obedience as a form of gratitude. Um, Charles Spurgeon, if we can get the, the quote up there. I like Spurgeon. Lean on the uh, wisdom of those wiser than myself. He says, who would serve, uh, He who would serve God must begin by praising God, for a grateful heart is the mainspring of obedience. We must offer the salt of gratitude, with the sacrifice of obedience our lives should be anointed with the precious oil of thankfulness let us see who among us can best rejoice in the Lord in all weathers in all weathers can that be my challenge to you guys can we try to outdo each other in being grateful during all weathers what does that look like I'm not even gonna I I don't even know I have a friend at uh Southlands Brea, whose name is Manny Medina. And uh I probably should have cleared it with him for me to talk about him. But Manny, if you listen to this, I love you. And you're a great example. So if you ever talk to Manny, he will say things, like, how you doing? Well, you know, I'm not sure how uh we're gonna make ends meet, but you know, God is good. And he and or literally, I've had a conversation with like, Manny, like, what's going on? You seem like a little like, uh, eh. And he fell at one point. He had some, some injuries that he had to go to the hospital for. He was in excruciating pain for a little bit. He couldn't work. He's, he's self-employed. He runs his own business. So I was like, Manny, what's going on? And he tells me what's going on internally and says, you know, this is going to make make finances really, really tough. But, you know, I know God is in control. And whenever I have a conversation with him, he's always like David in, in this the situation where he's like, you know what, these are the situations around me, but he never lets me like, dwell on the bad things that could get me down. He always instantly turns it around to, you know what, God's good. Like These things may be happening, but that's not what our conversation is going to be about. See, Manny does kind of what uh, Charles Spurgeon says there. here. He rejoices in the Lord in all weathers. He doesn't allow the situations internally or externally, monetarily, to distract him from the fact that God is glorious. That God is worthy of all of our praise. And this is the secret recipe that David had in all of his circumstances. He didn't allow himself to do anything else but to exalt God, he didn't allow himself to get distracted by what was going on around him. And not that that was an easy thing, we see that David is a man that was very emotional. I think uh, this is not part of my notes, but is it Psalm, psalm 13, I, I believe, or 12, somewhere around that area, when David cries out and he says, oh, why, Lord? Like, how long are my enemies going to be against me? And he has, like, all these questions that he asks God. And then by the end of the psalm, he says, but Lord, be exalted. See, David wasn't a man any different than us. He had emotions. He had afflictions. He had worries. But when it came down to it, he said, Lord, be exalted above all things. So there's a few things that I want to point us to. I never started my timer, so Lord be with us. I want us to, there's a few things that I want us to, to see that happen when out of David's gratitude, out of his heart of praise. And the first one is that David has great boldness. He has great boldness. It is bold for him to not listen to his men and spare Saul's life. It is so much easier. It would have been so much easier for him to drive a spear through him. Say, you throw a spear at me, I'll throw a spear at you. You know, that's, that was the easy route. But in fact, it took great boldness for him to not kill Saul. Then in uh, first, or the next few verses, eight, verses 8 through 15, we see that David actually confronts Saul after this. It says, Then, went David, then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed to the ground and he said to Saul, why do you listen when your men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of the robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you, as the saying goes, "From evildoers come evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. Against whom the King of Israel against whom has the King of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? a dead dog, a flea. May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. See, David was not just bold in not killing Saul, but he was bold enough to say, you know what? I know that God is on my side and I'm going to step out of this cave and I'm going to confront the enemy head on. He steps out and, I mean, even the loudest of us, how close do you have to be in order for somebody to hear you as you're shouting. It would have been, I don't know how how far David was from Saul, but he was close enough where Saul could have been like, okay, army, about face, and march. And he could have come right after David. And yet David was confident in God's plans for him. He was confident when God said, you will be king, that he would not fall to Saul's hand that day. So he was bold. Not only was he bold in action, but he was bold in honoring Saul. It's the man that was seeking to kill him. It says that he fell down on the ground. He calls him my lord, my father, my king. Even to the man who was trying to murder him, Saul is upworthy. I'm sorry, David is upworthy. It's amazing. I think this is what the, the Bible instructs us to do. And It says, love your enemy, pray for them. David is actively... Looking to exalt God through the honor that He is showing Saul, He's saying, "I'm not going to allow my own emotions to, to get in the way of exalting my Lord." What else does, it, does David's gratitude cause? It causes him to surrender. See, David tells his men, "Let me go back." Uh, <clears throat> The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. See, David surrenders the situation to God. His gratitude allows him to say, God, you are good, you are sovereign, and I will not do the things that I want to do. I surrender my conditions, my emotions, everything over to you. His eyes remain fixed on the promise of God. David also through his gratitude, sees deliverance. He sees deliverance from temptation. Right? He's tempted to kill Saul. He's tempted to stay hidden in the cave. He's tempted to say, Saul, you evildoer, curse you, be gone, Lord, smite you. Right? And he doesn't do any of that. He's delivered from the hand of Saul. He's delivered from death in that moment. See, and what's amazing is it by the end, I didn't read it, but when Saul replies to David, he says, Surely you are more righteous than myself. You will surely one day be king. See, that deliverance, truth comes out of even the mouth of the man who is seeking to kill David. And so I want us to see that, that David isn't looking to his conditions, he isn't looking to what's going on around him, but he's first and foremost seeking God. And the, the problem with a, a sermon like this is that if you're going through tough times, it's really easy to be like, oh, you know that that sounds that sounds good, but you know you don't know or you know what's going on is, is difficult. And so I'm actually Tim. If you want to come up here, um, Tim is going to share a little bit with us, and we're going to see how God has moved in Tim's life in the kind of these areas over the past four years. So if if I'm gonna grab some chairs, if you don't know Tim. Um, they actually moved here when Chino started, and uh, God has been doing some wonderful things in his life, um, and I just want you guys to pay attention to like how God has constantly been pursuing Tim and his family, and as great as Tim is and Amy, as much as we're great friends, this is not um, the Tim show. This is not, Tim is amazing, but in fact God is amazing and mighty to move through him. So, um, why don't you just give us a brief overview of what God has been doing the last four years.
1: Sure. So we moved out here, um, we were at uh, Southlands Fullerton, which is now Mercy Commons, and just felt God calling us to move out here and uh, be a part of the plant out here, and so we uh, took a while praying about that and felt like, okay, this is what God's calling us to do. So we packed up the family and moved out here. And in that, we thought like, okay, like we're being obedient to God's calling. And what we realized was that God had a greater calling for us, which was that a- act of obedience and to like <clears throat> be um, persistent in surrendering to Him. And that while we were being like we felt called to be here, our bigger calling was going to be that like surrendering to being obedient to God. And so um, moving here was fantastic and also really challenging. Um, A lot of things came up, you know, that were unexpected for us. Uh, Big one was another child, you know, we were not expecting to have um, a fourth kid, we were planning not to have a fourth kid and God said, nope, you're going to have one more. Um, And what a blessing he is. But uh, then, like, other things came up. We hit uh, financial hardships um, that we walked through that were really challenging for us and um, put a strain on our marriage and our family. And um, we had medical stuff that came up. And then, like, beyond that was... jobs uh you know the job situation was tough and it was we we just got hit with a lot of stressors and and it came back to as we started looking at it and looking back on like what was got what god was doing there was this constant view uh, or what god was pointing out to us was hey remember the bigger calling that i'm calling you to which is to surrender and so that was where we had to start to change our Um, outlook on things and change how we were going through things because we had to start addressing the bigger calling that God had for us.
0: So along this path was it like constant in how you felt God was dealing with you or was there a time when he like kind of spoke and changed the trajectory of your heart?
1: Yeah, I mean I would say about like I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago we really started to um just see something shift for us, our understanding of God, like, just that understanding of who God is and, like, who we are in relation to him started to change. I think, like, one of the verses that really stood out to me is, you know, in John, where, you know, Jesus says, um, abide in me and I will abide in you. I am the um, vine and you are the branch. And, like, my understanding of, like, I'm a branch and without God I'm nothing. Like, I can't do anything. And... You know, if you cut a branch off from the vine, it's going to wither and die. And so that was like a big shift that started to happen, was like how much I need to be abiding in Christ.
0: So as you were felt called to abide in him, you called to re- re- release control, what did surrender look like?
1: Uh, it's, I mean, definitely a daily thing. And so one of the things that um, I started doing on a daily basis was just like, declaring that like truth of like, I'm a branch and I need God. And so part of that was declaring my dependence on God daily. And um, one of the things about that was that it became so important that I didn't just declare that in my heart, but I declared it out loud. And so even like every day I wake up and it's just part of my morning routine is out loud declaring like, God, I'm dependent on you, I need you, I can't do this without you. And there's such a power in doing it out loud. I mean, when we look at Scripture, Scripture talks about, like, the only person who can read our thoughts is God. And if that means that God's the only one that can hear my thoughts, when we talk about there's a whole other spiritual realm, they aren't going to hear our declaration of dependence on God if we're just saying it internally. And so there's a power in, like, talking out loud and saying, out loud, God, I need you
0: how how did you see god change your heart as you started to do this daily routine
1: we so the chaos didn't slow down um i mean yo uh we're we're still like i mean four kids is a, is a lot jeff can attest to four kids being a lot um and the job situation so i changed jobs and the next job seemed better but ended up like being met with a lot of chaos in that and what we found though was that we just found like daily declaring our dependence on God that we would find a peace knowing that like he has a plan in place for us and that when it didn't make sense I mean we had like many times I would get home from work I had worked a, you know 15 hour day or something and I'd get home and I was exhausted and I was like oh, why are we here I don't understand this and Sometimes it was Amy reminding me, like, I don't know, but God has a plan. Like, God is at work in this, um, and we know that he's in control. And for us saying, okay, well, he's in control in this moment, and I don't actually have control over this situation, and the best thing I can do is just declare that, God, I'm dependent on you, and I can't control this, and to let that really begin to, like, permeate your life, to, like, let that give you peace.
0: That's good. So if... I, mean, I know you're still like in the the thick of some stuff, and by all means, I think we all are going to be forever until Jesus returns. But if you had to give like a, a quick statement of encouragement to anybody who's going through trials or, or chaos right now, what would it be?
1: I think like a big thing is continuing to. I mean, like we talk about with like Daniel eleven thirty two. Like the first part of that is just know know who God is. Um, and just take so much time to understand who he is and his truths. I mean, that's like, scripture is the biggest way we, you know, understand who God is. And then just spending time in prayer. Um, and it's really beginning to learn God's voice. So that you can hear God, like, speaking in your life. And that, that like, I think that was one of the things for me that it was just... Constantly reminding myself of the truths of God who God is but like not only like myself reminding me Of who God is knowing that the Holy Spirit is there to remind us of you know the truths of God and I mean like You know Jeff and I text each other all the time and um, I don't know maybe a month or two ago Jeff had texted me He's like how are you doing and I'm like right now in this exact moment. I'm good. I was like In 15 minutes, I'm probably not going to be good because we're in the thick of chaos right now. And I said, so in 15 minutes, I'm going to be like, hey, God, can you remind me of the truth of who you are? Like in the truth that I know right now, I'm going to forget in 15 minutes and remind me of that. And there's plenty of days where like that's just the entire day of just like, hey, God, God, 15 minutes, I'm going to forget. Please remind me again, and constantly just living in that.
0: So good. Alright, why don't we give a a big round of applause to Tim? (laughs) Thanks, buddy. Okay, so you guys can see it's possible. It's not just David, who's not special. David's just like us. He's flawed. He's human. Tim, You're flawed and you're human. Jeff, you're flawed and you're human. But I wanted us to see that, you know, we have a a present day example of how God can move in our hearts. How he can come and say, I am bigger than your circumstance. And the last thing that I want uh, want to point us to is that David couldn't have done any of this if he didn't have the Spirit of God with him. See, it says that when he was anointed, the Spirit of God came on him. That Saul had the Spirit of God, and the Spirit departed from him. And we see how Saul became bitter and angry and plotting to kill. But David accomplished all of this because he had the helper with him. He had the Holy Spirit to, like Tim said, to remind him on a moment-to-moment basis of who God was. He had that encouragement. And we see that through that, he remembered the promises that God gave him. He remembered the anointing. And so us as modern people, post-cross, we need to do the same. We need to say, Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to, on a minute-by-minute basis to remind, remind us of the goodness. And so as, as people, what are some promises that we can latch on to uh, as Christians? And the, the cool thing about these promises is that they're 100% true 100% of the time for all eternity. So, I mean, just to list a few, we could be grateful of the promise that our sins have been forgiven and death has been defeated for all eternity. We can rely on the promise that God is with us 100% of the time forever. We can rely on the promise that we are children of God. We can rely on the promise that one day Jesus will return with a sword in hand and defeat the enemy. See, there's. I can, we can go on and on and people would be wishing they had tacos by the time I finished. Maybe you already are. But we have the Holy Spirit with us. We have God incarnate fighting on our behalf. And so when we're going through trials, when we're going through chaos, we can be like David and be bold and audacious And say, I see the the trials that I'm going against. I see the chaos around me. But Lord, you are capable. Lord, you are bigger. Lord, you are sovereign. Lord, you are mighty. Lord, you are merciful. It's possible. It's possible. I know we all go through chaos. I, I don't think there's a single one of us here who doesn't get frustrated with Social problems, economical problems, political problems, whatever it may be, and those things creep into our mind, and we get frustrated, and we lose a heart of gratitude. But if we're constantly relying on the Holy Spirit to encourage us, if we're constantly saying, "Lord, I need you deeply, I need you," then all those other things don't matter. So, I'm gonna call the band back back up, and we're gonna take uh, communion together. Um, and but uh, I'm going to lead us through this, and I want to pray for us as we do so. So go ahead and uh, find your way to the communion table. This is for those uh, who declare Jesus as Lord and Savior, for those who call themselves Christians, and we'll gather back together and have communion together.